You're listening to Tom and Bach on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Welcome back. Lunch hour, Tom and Bach. I'm Tom Stevens, Jake Bachhoven. DP just walked into the studio and he, brought, he had this ice tray, broken ice tray in his hands. Apparently somebody had found the broken ice tray in the freezer and then it, you know, just disintegrated in their hands and they just put it back in the freezer all broken. <laughs> to be fair, it still can produce ice. <laughs> it that, just, that just is in true. many pieces. That's right. If, if you use it, I mean, and it doesn't tip at all. Yeah. You could still have a workable ice tray. It's the new office mystery. Who broke the ice tray? Is he there yet? He's not there. He's yet. not there. You know, uh, we're efforting uh, Rick Pizzo of the Big Ten Network. I, I, I just wonder, did they ever go through these things like you open up the fridge at the Big Ten Network and Jerry DiNardo is eating like half your sandwich or something <laughs> like that? And you know that because the intern said, yeah, I saw Jerry in there earlier. He's eating some sort of thing out of the fridge. It didn't look good. But, well, that was my, that was my sandwich. Uh, I, that sometimes happens here. Yeah, there was uh, a mystery about the uh, the microwave at one point, wasn't there? Somebody blew up the microwave and nobody knew right. who it was. That's right. It was it was usually people if they didn't know who did it back in the day, we would just blame John Gaskins. <laughs> yeah, and it was usually right. <laughs> he I was mean, he was the one that would always eat half of a donut if the if the donuts right. came in. That's right. He'd eat half a donut that's and right. put it back. He was always on a diet. <laughs> he was always on a diet. He eat half the donut and put it back. I mean, just, nobody <laughs> wants that donut. Yeah, uh, you can just throw the rest away. Yeah. Nobody wants the donut. Uh, as we welcome in Rick Pizzo of the Big Ten Network, uh, that seems like a Jerry Donardo thing. Like he'll eat half the donut and it's just back in the box. Right? No, Donardo's not a donut guy. More pizza, pasta. I could see that going back in the box, but I don't <laughs> worry about the donut. Um, uh, who's the toughest to work with at the Big Ten Network there? I mean, they, they everybody. Just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, you did do sideline for Nebraska versus Iowa. Another one score loss. They're up 21 6. And my wife called me. She said, You're, you're taping this. Yes, I'm taping it. But uh, I want to remind you, Nebraska always loses these games. And they did. And now they're officially. Uh, maybe the the best worst team in college football history, and statistically they are eight one score losses. Is that how you see Nebraska? It is because that's the reality. I mean, I saw it in person a couple of times this year. I actually felt for the first time when I was there on the Friday after Thanksgiving that it could be different, and then the punt got blocked. Now I will say, and I reported this during our broadcast. At that point, I did not see the heads down. I didn't see the guys thinking this is going to happen again. Here we go. The doubt creeping in. Then they turned it over and the fumble and I saw it all happen. And at that point you could just see the writing on the wall. And honestly, I felt terrible for the kids, especially for the seniors, those guys knowing they're playing their last game and that's the way that it goes down. And, you know, to use the phrase that Scott has now used several times to have to watch that same movie again, but it's the last movie that you're ever going to see in your life. That's an awfully tough way to go out. How far away do you think Nebraska is from the the rest of the Big Ten West? Clearly, the champion Iowa you were that they were that close to. Seems like Minnesota, Purdue, Wisconsin, just all kind of bunched together. And there is Nebraska at the bottom of the standings, but competing with all of them. Yeah, there there is, and I understand the argument that there's a silver lining, and all of these scores are one possession games, and oh so close, and they held Ohio State way under the Buckeyes' average yardage and point totals. But at the end of the day. There is a huge gap between winning and losing, regardless of the margin of victory, because it is the ability and the understanding of what you have to do to win. And I think that's probably been the most frustrating thing for the fan base and probably for the coaches and for the players as well. 
you feel like you understand what it takes, but then on Saturday, you don't actually execute in that fashion. To me, that's been the most frustrating thing about this year for Nebraska. Rick Pizzo of the Big Ten Network, our guest, and Scott Frost has intimated that sentiment, uh, talked about it many times, that, hey, we're close. You can see we're close. We're always in one-score games. But if you don't know how to win, how close are you? Yeah, that's a great question, and it always begs that age-old debate. What comes first, winning so you know how to win or knowing how to win so you're actually able to go out there and do it? It's the chicken or the egg concept. And until you actually break through with that win, I'm on that side of it. Whether it's a lucky break, whether it's somebody missing a field goal, whether it's a Hail Mary, all you need is one. And I think that the program has a good enough coaching staff. It clearly has a good enough history The recruiting has been good enough, certainly, to compete in the West. The facilities will get better. But until you do that on a regular basis, the more that it doesn't happen, the more doubt starts to creep in. And unfortunately, I think that's what we saw through a lot of 2021. As we look forward to some of the other things going on in college football, uh, specifically, let's just get to the Big Ten Championship here. Iowa kind of backs their way in there. Michigan seems hotter than ever. Do you think the Hawkeyes could still give uh, the, uh, the Wolverines a battle for to knock the Wolverines out of that playoff spot? I do because of who they are. Uh, they are the embodiment of Kirk Ferentz. You know, when I interviewed Kirk after the game on Friday, he got really emotional because I think that this team really reflects who he is. And the interesting thing is I think this Michigan team reflects who Jim Harbaugh is and wants to do more than any other Michigan team that he's ever had. So to me, for Iowa, it's all about up front. I think Iowa on the back end can absolutely hang with Michigan's receivers. I think they could force Cade McNamara into a mistake or two. But that Michigan offensive line may be the most underrated unit inside the Big Ten. We talked so much this year about – Ohio State's receivers and Iowa's secondary and Wisconsin's linebackers. What about Michigan's offensive line? They just dominated Ohio State in that game. I know Hassan Haskins had five touchdowns. I know McNamara made some nice throws. I know Aiden Hutchinson was a rock star with three sacks. To me, the MVPs of that game, that was the Michigan offensive line because they set the tone and dominated. Can Iowa's defensive line hold up against that front and not allow Michigan to just run it straight down the gut? I think that's the biggest question. Rick Pizzo of the Big Ten Network is our guest. It does feel like uh, Michigan is a better matchup for Iowa than Ohio State would have been, right? I think that's a fair statement, and I think that's why a lot of folks who don't necessarily have a rooting interest for a team but have a rooting interest in getting a team in the playoff kind of thought that Ohio State would be the better team to get to the Big Ten Championship game and represent the East because they are a tougher matchup for almost everybody. That being said, Tom, I think that sentiment was maybe changed because not just Michigan's win, but the way that they won. They There was never a doubt during that game. I mean, I was texting back and forth with a good friend of mine, James Laurinaitis, All-American at Ohio State, and he was very clear. The better team won today, and there was no doubt about it. Michigan was the better team, and I think if they win this game against Iowa, to me, I don't care what happens in the SEC championship game, and I guess I'll couch that. If Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC championship game, then I don't care what else happens anywhere else. If Michigan beats Iowa, not only should the Wolverines be in the playoff, they should be the number two seed without question behind Georgia. A heck of a job from Coach Harbaugh this year. heck of a job uh, from Ference as well, yet Mel Tucker wins the Coach of the Year in the Big Ten. Do you have any problems with that, or do you think that was the right decision? 
I don't have any problems with that. I think you could go a lot of different directions. I think you could have gone with Tucker. I think you could have gone with Jim Harbaugh. I think uh, other coaches who did phenomenal jobs this year include P.J. Fleck getting that team eight wins and the axe despite all the injuries. And Jeff Brom, who, let's not forget, Purdue won eight games this year, and they picked up two massive wins with Iowa and Michigan State. There were a lot of great candidates out there, but anytime you – have a year like Mel Tucker had last year and it being his first year and the COVID year and having games canceled and guys transferred. He completely rebuilt that roster this year and they were really one slip up away from getting to the Big Ten championship game. So I wouldn't have had an issue if someone else had won it, but I certainly don't have an issue with Tucker winning it. Rick, there was a lot of drama, is a lot of drama in college football, but it wasn't in the Big Ten. Michigan State locked up Mel Tucker for $95 million and did it very early. P.J. Fleck has been locked up at Minnesota for a while, and James Franklin as well at Penn State. Boring, just the way the Big Ten wants it, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. There was so much conversation, and we knew that USC was going to be the domino starter, right? As soon as the USC job got filled, whoever they took, there was going to start to be some shuffling, and Lincoln Riley goes and kind of, sets the market, but he kind of sets the market after Mel Tucker and James Franklin had their deals here. And we were talking about this a few weeks ago on the show, and I'm, I forget which one of our analysts said, there's going to be a ton of movement coaches in the nation, and I don't think anybody's going to leave the Big Ten. And I scratched my head and thought, man, that could actually be the case. And as soon as Michigan State locked up Mel Tucker and Penn State locked up James Franklin, the Big Ten has exactly what it wants, stability in the head coaching ranks heading into next season. Who do you think we we see in the playoff first, Lincoln Riley in USC or Brian Kelly in LSU? Wow, that's a great question. I guess I would lean toward Lincoln Riley at USC just because I think it's going to be so much easier to get out of the Pac-12 as champion than it is to get out of the SEC. Uh, Brian Kelly, I think, is a wildly underrated coach, uh, and I don't understand why people forget that he brought Notre Dame to a BCS national title game, a couple of college football playoff appearances. Who knows? They could still get in this year as well. But the SEC, especially the SEC West, is just an absolutely brutal slog to get out of. You play in the Pac-12 South, and, and Lincoln Riley starts to recruit the way that I think he'll be able to recruit. You've probably heard a lot of the rumors. A bunch of Oklahoma commits, some of the top guys in the country were from California. They're now reopening their commitment, maybe going to follow Lincoln to USC. How many really good teams do you have to beat out there to win the Pac-12, even with one loss and have a significant college football playoff? So strictly because of the level of competition, I think Riley probably has the upper hand to start. Rick Pizzo of the Big Ten Network. It's crazy that uh, Bride Kelly leaves Notre Dame. No other coach in Notre Dame history has left on their own accord. I don't know that that's ever happened at Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley. Did you ever see the day when those two teams would lose coaches uh, to other schools? Yeah, I think in today's world of college football, Tom, I did. I mean, Lincoln Riley is a young guy. He's going to have a ton of opportunities. I actually thought that maybe he would be a guy that would sniff the NFL as opposed to another college right. job first. Yeah. The Brian Kelly thing, and I know this may sound crazy, doesn't surprise me at all. I think Brian always felt underappreciated in South Bend whether it was by the Notre Dame fans or whether it was by the national media, you could see the last couple of years. Now, he's never been the most friendly guy in the world, especially with the media, but if you listen to his interviews, his press conferences the last couple of years, he'd gotten really salty and sour. I just think being there had worn on him. He looks at this as a fresh new opportunity with a great program that has a ton of history, and oh yeah, he's making some fat cash down there in Baton Rouge. Yeah. 
and obviously interesting to see how this we'll, we'll see after this weekend how the playoffs kind of work its way out but the the question that's been there all season is still there regardless of what happens in these championship games does an undefeated Cincinnati deserve to be in despite not playing in a power conference well whether you want to argue whether they deserve to be in or not in any given year you can have that argument I don't think you can make that argument this year that they're not worthy of being in if they're undefeated and they go on this weekend and they win the AAC and you already have wins over Notre Dame who by the way is sitting there just a couple of spots below you know Indiana wasn't Indiana and everybody wanted to nitpick Cincinnati for a couple of closer-than-expected wins within their league. Listen, this happens to every team every year. Cincinnati has beaten every team on its schedule. If Cincinnati goes and wins the AAC championship this year, who with one loss would deserve to go ahead of them? I mean, I just don't see it. And if the committee even considers a two-loss Alabama, assuming Alabama loses to Georgia over an undefeated Cincinnati, then the committee loses a lot of respect. And I think that's not just from me, that's from the nation. If there's ever a year where an undefeated team from a non-Power 5 league deserves to be in, this is the year, and that team is Cincinnati. Let's just throw roll through some of the more interesting games of the weekend, championship weekend, Michigan and Iowa. Michigan, 10.5-point favorite here. That seems like a lot to me. I agree. That's a very big number. I think Iowa keeps this close. And as I told you guys before, I think it comes down to the Michigan run game because if Iowa bottles them up, can Cade McNamara find some of those young receivers and the tight ends? I would not be shocked if this was a much lower scoring game than people anticipate, which probably means it's 51-48 at day's end. <laughs> That's right. Oklahoma State uh, versus Baylor. It feels like Oklahoma State might have a shot if they win this game. Yeah, I think Oklahoma State does have a shot if they win this game. They need maybe one or two dominoes to fall. I think if they win, especially if they win handily, they certainly are ahead of Notre Dame if they're not already ahead of Notre Dame when the new rankings are released later tonight. But I really like Oklahoma State. Now, that being said, Dave Aranda is also a very interesting name, the head coach at Baylor, former the D.C. at LSU, and before that, the D.C. at Wisconsin. These jobs that keep opening, I think Dave Aranda's name is going to be in the mix for a bunch of them. And then in the SEC championship game, uh, Alabama, a dog for, I think, the first time since 2015, six and a half points to Georgia. Who you got there? Yeah, they should be an underdog. Did you see them against Auburn? They were yep. so lucky to win that game. Bryce Young looks confused. If you are confused by Auburn's defense, wait until you see what Georgia has. I think Georgia is clearly the best team in the country. I would be shocked, absolutely shocked, if they don't get Alabama by double digits on Saturday. And because of the way they played the last couple of weeks, there's no way a two-loss Alabama team is getting in, right? I just can't see it. And to your point, I think the committee kind of said something when they moved to Ohio State prior to the Michigan game ahead of Alabama. They kind of said, Alabama, you really haven't been that impressive. You're yeah. maybe there a little bit on reputation. You know what? I wouldn't even be that shocked this week if they got moved down to number four even after wow. the win over Auburn because Auburn's not that good a football team. So, yeah, I don't think there's any chance that two-loss Alabama gets in this year. Hey, Rich. Uh, Rick, uh, thanks for the time. Great stuff, as always. We appreciate seeing you on the Big Ten Network. Fellas, always my pleasure. Have a great week. Enjoy Championship Saturday. There you go. Rick Pizzo of the Big Ten Network. Always a great guest. I wish we could get him all the time, but he is... Uh, this is about the only time you can get him because he is so busy anymore uh, on the Big Ten Network, but I do appreciate uh, the stuff that he does, and thank you again for your appearance. Um, college football is fun right now. I, I, this is my favorite time of the year. Yes. And 
I know that it, it sometimes it it's because it ends badly for some coaches, and I'm not wishing anybody to get fired. But I just I just love this time of, you know, the coaching carousel is fascinating to me. Well, we spent all off season talking about the what ifs and, and um, where everything go, and this is where you kind of um, the finality comes in. Um, this is where a lot of seasons are done. You know, the moves are being made, and then the coaching. I mean, you know. Like, like I said, and that, that question I had to, to yeah. Rick Pizzo is just going to be fascinating over the next several years. Is Chip Kelly yeah. going to be able to get to the playoffs before, uh, you know, because you, yeah. always, you always do the, before Lincoln Riley, because you always compare yeah. the coaches along with the coaches they were hired in that same offseason. Um, yeah. And, of course, that hasn't been great for Frost yeah. over the years, but um, that's gonna it's just going to be fascinating. Those could be yeah. some absolute powers right. in the future because of these hires. And you think, well, once uh, the Notre once the L- LSU job gets filled and the USC job gets filled, there'll be nothing more to talk about. Well, you've got the Notre Dame job now because yeah. of those those jobs being filled and the Oklahoma job. So that just uh, creates more intrigue. And who's next uh, as far as the dominoes to drop? Luke Fickle is one of the names you're hearing for Notre Dame, uh, 47 to 14 to five years with the Bearcats. But, of course, Brian Kelly came from Cincinnati. Yeah. So that's kind of been there well as of late. It's interesting to to hear Rick say, you know, he wasn't surprised by that because Brian Kelly's never really been appreciated at Notre Dame. Uh, and they're demanding. They could be a little bit like Husker fans. Yeah. Uh, so if you lose twice in a year, and he's, I think he's had five straight double-digit seasons at Notre Dame. Yeah, he did have a four and eight year, yeah, which, and which he did can have, really get yeah. you pretty low on yeah. him. I, I can't imagine what Oscar fans seat. would do with a four and eight. Yeah, <laughs> I can't imagine. Uh, I, I was wanting four and eight. We that means yes. we would that would have meant we would have beaten Iowa. Um, but there's a lot of names out there. Of course, Sonny Dykes, who just took the the TCU gig, is being mentioned with some of these jobs, and I don't see him going to Oklahoma. Uh, but Joe Brady has mentioned men mentioned at. Uh, Carolina, the offensive coordinator. Of course, he was the architect behind the 2019 LSU National Championship offensively with Joe Burrow. Um, he's a name that's always going to come up. You got Matt Campbell, his name uh, being oh, yeah. mentioned. Uh, he apparently has interest in Notre Dame. I don't know as far as Notre Dame is concerned. I think that'd be a great hire Oh yeah, uh, for Notre Dame. Uh, was in the Big 12 championship last year, but this year Iowa State went 7-5. and five. Uh, you've got Cliff Kingsbury, who's uh, with the Arizona Cardinals. He was fired from Texas Tech, but now has had uh, great success in the NFL. I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, there's Mark Stoops being mentioned uh, at Kentucky as possibly somebody that his brother might recommend as the next head coach. <laughs> or maybe it's Bob Stoops. Yeah. Um, maybe Bob Stoops comes out of retirement. He's only 60. Uh, Alex Grinch has been mentioned. Uh, the Oklahoma DC. He's already in LA though. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. Right. But I mean, if you uh, if, you know, if you got the head coaching, yeah, the head coaching gig. That's a different story. Yeah. Uh, Josh Heupel at Tennessee has been mentioned. Of course, he replaced Frost at UCF and then finished his first year this past season at Tennessee, going seven and five. Uh, we would have taken that in a heartbeat. And this first year, that's pretty good. Um, and he's also the former. OU quarterback who won a national title there. Oh, that'd be a cool storyline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you never hear that. Yeah. I wonder if we could do that sometime. But he is 35 and 13 in four years as a head coach. Uh, so he's been good. And then there, I've heard the name Brent Venables in yep. connection uh, with the Oklahoma gig, maybe the Notre Dame gig. Some of these, you know, you can just say either job. They're, they're probably, a lot of these are probably either job, unless it's a Josh Heupel. I can't see him going to 
Notre or you probably it would have to have affiliations uh, like I don't see Heupel going to Notre Dame. Yeah, it's it's just it's crazy. I, you know, you never thought those are destination jobs, Notre yeah. Dame and Oklahoma. Um, so it was really weird to see them. And, and you couldn't necessarily call it stepping stone, especially for Brian Kelly. He was there for like a, more yeah. than a decade. He won, you know, he's their all-time winningest yeah. coach. So it's not a stepping stone job, but Oklahoma kind of yeah. looks like a stepping stone job for Lincoln yeah. Riley. Yeah. Somebody says, Walter says, uh, Fleck to Notre Dame. I think uh, that'd be a big buyout after the yeah. contract that he just signed. And that's that was the smart move on the part of the Big Ten. They got out of the drama game. Uh, Mel Tucker. Wrap him up. Give him a lot of money, but wrap him up for 10 years. Same thing with uh, James Franklin and same thing with P.J. Fleck. I, I think at M- Matt Campbell actually is going to be tough because Iowa State signed him to a long-term extension. And it'd be uh, really weird. It never happens because something or uh, other will play out in the offseason. It, it just does. Uh, but it's looking like the Big Ten might just stay pat. Yeah. Uh, with all their coaches, yeah. and that just never happens. Yeah, Tom Allen got the pay reduction, as yeah. did Scott Frost. Uh, but it looks like they're staying pat. It's just it's too much effort. It's just uh, <laughs> it makes me tired. You don't want to put up that kind of effort. Uh, today we're trying something different on Wingman Bach. Uh, it's called Slogan Tuesday. Uh, re- very creative name. Uh, we play the the slogan, the tagline from the commercial. Yeah, it's a TV commercial that we're talking about, and you guess uh, what the product is because it won't say the name of the product in the tagline. You know what I mean? Yeah, is it going to be difficult or is this a... Um, I don't know. Are we starting it off with... I don't, I don't think... It, I, it shouldn't be difficult. I mean, I, okay. know, I know it, but I'm an older person. To, uh, I, I wonder if you will. Okay. Uh, but somebody should know it. 464-5685. Uh, call right now on the Honda Lincoln Hotline to play Wingman. We'll do it next. Download our app by searching 93.7, a ticket in your app store. To stay in touch and listen all day long wherever you are. This is Tom and Bach.